1: In the Old Testament, God said to approach him a specific way. By the time his son comes on the scene, he says, No, I want a new way. And why that new way is far superior to the old. Next. Over the last couple of broadcasts here on Truth for today, we have focused in on the blessings of the new covenant, the the way God deals with you and I. So today we take that a step further and understand why we would rather have Jesus, this new covenant, this new way that God deals with you and I and our sin. Really is quite encouraging. We're in Hebrews chapter nine, verses one through fourteen, as we take a look at the contrast of the old versus the new. Here's Pastor Phil Howard with today's broadcast of Truth For Today.
2: This book, uh, let's see, can we get the uh, slide of the tabernacle? Since most don't know a thing about it, I asked them to give us a slide. Okay. Does that do much for you? Can you see it? Okay. All the people are outside. You go in this entrance right here. You go in and the animal has to be put on the brazen altar. I'm looking for the candelabra. I'm looking for the table of shoe bread. That doesn't show it too clear. The Holy of Holies, right back there, another tent within a tent. Only the high priest goes into that inner room once a year. Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. And he goes in there and then there's the Ark of the Covenant, a golden altar, and there, uh angelic beings called cherubim are built looking over that ark. And inside the ark were three items, uh, Aaron's rod that budded, a little urn containing the manna that had been collected from the wilderness, and uh, the law, those three items. And so once a year... The high priest would go back there. It's believed that on that day, he went back and forth in that curtain maybe four times. According to John MacArthur, he probably made 20 sacrifices on the Day of Atonement. Many others out at the brazen altar. He had to offer incense. I mean, it was offerings, offerings. He could have easily, at the end of the day, become a bloody mess. Had to wash, had to change clothes, wash, change clothes. So that rightfully Judeo-Christianity is a bloody, bloody religion. And many disdain it for that. But this is an idea of, the, here's the thing. Access to God was limited to one day a year. One day a year. It was almost impossible in the Old Testament to get access to God. Matter of fact, the people didn't. They only got it through a symbolic representative called a high priest, once a year. And he's going to use the first 10 verses of Hebrews to teach by way of contrast and comparison what we find in Christ and the new covenant and what we have now in him that we could easily take for granted that what they didn't have in the Old Testament. Going through this tabernacle, let me, first of all, since you've forgotten the book, let me just take you back to chapter 7 and and just refresh your mind. Verse 11, last week you were still at 1 Samuel 29, though there's not 29 chapters, but thank you, it's 1 Chronicles 29 was last week. I edit and correct. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? There's a change in the priesthood. There's a change in the law. For the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe. Then he goes on down, verse 18. The first covenant was weak. And became useless, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, which we draw near to God. Then it comes down to verse 23. The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently, because he continues forever, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He goes on to chapter 8 to point out that he's the minister of a new covenant, a covenant that does something in the heart. A uh, Old Testament religion was external, external, external. Those who really believed in God did have something going on in their heart, but he said he got rid of the old because he wanted to do something in us. He didn't want us just to be in external religious ceremonies. And much religion is external pop and circumstance that does nothing for the worshiper. And he says that And so he comes over here after that covenant. Now he says, Let me tell you about the tabernacle, what it was designed to do, and what its limitations were. Three limitations of the old tabernacle, the old covenant. Number one uh, access to God was limited to one man for one day a year. Access. How can I get into the presence of God in the Old Testament? I mean, think that through. How? Without being killed. Because even the high priest was in danger. They say that oftentimes the high priest on the day of atonement, at the end of the day, would throw a party for the other priest and celebrate that he had survived the day. I, I lived through it. It's a dangerous thing to think that a sinner could ever go into the presence of God in the Old Testament setting. It. It can get you killed. Go to Mount Sinai and God says, don't touch the mount or I'll kill you. Do not mess with God at all, especially in that people showing them that he was holy, that he was righteous, and that to uh, violate him or to violate his law would bring death penalty. Scary, scary relationship. I need you, but I'm afraid of you. I need you, but how can I approach you? Very, very uh, difficult in the Old Testament. Two, another thing he's going to say is the sacrifices of the Old Testament were unable to change the worshiper. And he said that in verse uh, verse 9. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience Of the worshiper. They only deal with food and drink and external washings. The body is washed, and that's it. Nothing happens to the conscience, the inner man. I know when Carol and I were in India, we went to Amritsar, uh, the capital of the Sikh religion. And Sikwant Bhatia, being a converted Sikh, wanted us to go to their temple wanted us to see the central place, the Mecca, as it were, of the Sikh religion. And we go there, and I was just talking to an Indian lady this week at the bank. We were just glad we got our shoes back, because when you go up at the temple, before you go, and there's thousands of people. You've got to check in your shoes. You've got to go barefooted. And as you're getting ready to go into the temple site, there's a little running stream of water there that you have to put your feet in. And this makes you fit to go into the temple. Well, this was Old Testament sacrifices. And the washing. And the cleansing. All this external stuff. All these symbolic things they did. At the same time, doing nothing for the heart. That's why David said in Psalms 51 Hey, Lord, I'd offer you a sacrifice if there's anything that would atone for adultery and murder, but there's no sacrifice for it. I'm under the death penalty, there is no sacrifice. For high handed sin. You see, they had sin, and he's going to mention that the Old Testament sacrifices could cover unintentional sins, which you can't commit. You know what you do that sin. But they had unintentional, that is, they may have touched inordinately a corpse somewhere. Uh, they may have gone and touched, came in contact with something unclean. And they were uh, defiled to be in God's presence, and this was considered unintentional, unconscious sin. And so, just in case, even as Job offered sacrifices for his children in case they had done something to offend God, you'd wash, you'd do all of this, and that only covered unintentional sin. But if you had lied, if you had stolen. If you'd killed a man, if you committed adultery, there was no sacrifice. No sacrifice. You bear it. And if the law was carried out, you get stoned. He didn't say, and if you commit adultery, bring a sacrifice. He said, No, if you commit adultery, tell the elders to collect stones and kill you. That was the law. So he's saying that here, the law gave me no access. The Old Testament tabernacle. I don't get in. A high priest does. Two, what they sacrifice doesn't do me any good in the inner man. It's only external ceremonialism for me. I'm still unchanged. And thirdly, it gives me a flawed, inferior high priest. And he says that in Hebrews 5, that this high priest is a sinner himself. He's beget with weakness. And according to Numbers 19, he had to kill a red heifer and burn the ashes of it to atone for his own sins. He had to first atone for his sinning. And then when he went in to the Holy of Holies, he had these 12 stones that represented the nation, the 12 tribes. But do you think he went in there representing you by name? That he even knew you? Let's say there's maybe four million Jews at this time. It was all symbolic. He went back in there and God bless uh, Judah. God bless Issachar. God bless Reuben. God bless. It was none of his. God bless Benjamin living over on 813th Elm Drive. Oh, no, 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 no. It was only symbolic representation. You weren't prayed for. You were only represented in this priest that God says, it's the blood that even gets you in here. Because you must know this blood thing started back where? The Passover night to get Israel out of Egypt. You must kill a lamb... For two things get you out of Egypt, blood and power. And only two things get you out of a life of sin, the blood and my power. That is what delivers us. Now, he's going to come to Christ and what Christ, how he's far better in verses 11 through 14. And there's four things about Christ that's far, far better. Let's pick them up, four things. Verse 11. Christ represents us perpetually before the throne of God. We have a high priest, and guess where he is? He is in the presence of God. He has passed through the heavens, and he's gone to the true sanctuary, and he is there permanently representing his people. Not once a year, every moment of the year. He is there. And so he tells his people, in me, you are represented continually before God. I don't make a once-a-year trip. I didn't have to offer any sacrifice for my own sins. And I actually, I pray for you by name. I call out your name to God. I don't say, Blessed Valley Bible. He gets down to blessing you individually. Can you believe that Christ can remember your name? See, we're hoping in the two services you'd wear name tags and get acquainted. Remember, we're starting at 10. I know both groups are mixed up, 9 and 11 group. You both have to fudge a little. Just give. Show up. We'll start when you get here. But but get acquainted with uh, the 9. We actually have Christians in the 9 a.m. service. And get acquainted with the others. But just think up there that according to John, you are called by, I know my sheep by name. And so we have access. And he says that we draw nigh, And he's going to say in chapter 10, we actually take for granted that today, as you pray, as you praise God, you, whatever, you have immediate access, and you're literally being represented in the third heaven right now. Right now. According to Ephesians, now, now listen, you are already seated up there in heaven. Some of you have been saved so long, it doesn't even bother you. That's not bad. You need to go back under the old covenant where you couldn't get access. Or you take Philippians 3.20, your citizenship is in heaven, but you better pay your taxes by April 15th. I mean, God sees his people already in his presence, continually in his presence. Access to God's presence is an immediate thing anytime we want to go there. Anytime. And we take it for granted. We still struggle with our prayer life, maybe, or, or struggle. Could Am I good enough to go to heaven? Well, if you're his child, you, you have already landed there positionally. We just got to get your body to catch up. You're there. Guaranteed in your high priest. Two, he is representing us there on the basis of his blood. This verse 12, he entered into this place. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. When we speak of the blood of Christ, now now follow me. We're not talking about his blood plasma per se. Okay? Some people think that when he went to heaven, he took his blood plasma, material blood. And the, that the atonement wasn't complete because they're going in the Old Testament until you took it to the throne and you sprinkled blood. Was the cross work completed on the cross or did it have to be applied up there? See, we understand he went to heaven, to the third heaven is our high priest, by means of, on account of his blood. Now, Follow me. The blood of Christ saves. Does that mean the blood plasma saves? Blood, used in the Old Testament and New, watch this, equals a violent death. That was the way it was used primarily. Leon Morris, Apostolic Preaching on the Cross out of Australia. This is the reference. That's the book you want to read on it. That it really meant... Not a lamb who died of pneumonia, or a lamb that died of disease, but a lamb that died violently, (laughs) slit the throat. If Christ would have died of old age, he would not have atoned for our sins. If Christ would have died of some other disease, you could have said he died for me. No, 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 no. He died a violent death in my place. So it's sacrificial, so blood equals a violent death under the judgment of God. So when I talk about the blood will never lose its power, I'm really saying what the violent death of Christ on the cross will never lose its power. I'm not talking about blood plasma. The blood is shorthand for he died a violent death as my substitute. Do the trans? Because when you talk to people, blood. What's this blood and blood? Man, what's blood got to do with it? It's shorthand for a violent death under the wrath of God as my substitute. We're not talking, he took his blood plasma. And death. On the basis of what he did on the cross, he was able now to pass through all the heavens and go into the true sanctuary and say, now God, I'm going to represent my people on the basis of my violent death for their sins. So when you say, I'm saved by the blood, you are. It equals the cross. It equals the death of Christ. That's what we're talking about. Material substance does save. A violent death in my place that God accepted. That's what he is really saying. He represents us on the basis of this blood. Third thing, his sacrificial death purchased eternal redemption. You notice this? He said uh, it brought about eternal redemption. Now That's very, when you hear the word redemption, it means to be set free, delivered. Loosed. It was to set free slaves, captives, to be delivered from. He came to give his life as a ransom for many, the payment to unloose it. But why eternal redemption? Because the whole Levitical system never gave you eternal redemption. It never gave you eternal life. Only 360 days can you stay in the sacred community if I accept the sacrifice. Christ said, what I did on the cross gives you eternal redemption. It's forever. You're loose forever. You're loose forever. No more works. No more sacrifice. No. Just think of what world religion is. Working my way to heaven, and I can never do enough to be sure I've done enough. And we come, and he's telling these Hebrew listeners that are being persecuted, that are being tempted to go back to Judaism. They're afraid to break from the synagogue. They're afraid to break from all the Old Testament they've been raised on. It's their roots. It's their heritage. And he's saying, don't go back though it's costing you alienation from the Jewish community. Don't go back, though you're being persecuted. Don't go back. God's giving you his best. Don't go back. And I say to you, Backslider, why are you going back? What's back? What are you leaving for? What are you gaining? What are you giving up Christ for? What's back there? If you give him up, what do you go back to? And religious man... Why won't you accept the free gift of God and knowing that Christ did in six hours on the cross what you could not do in a million years. He purchased you in eternal redemption in six hours on the cross. The debt's been paid. The story is told of a uh, a tent revivalist in the Midwest that uh, they were breaking down the tent after a week of meetings and A gentleman came and he approached them and he said, "Uh, Sir, what are you doing? He said, We're moving on to another meeting. And he said, "Uh, Wait, wait, you can't do that. I'm not saved. What can I do? What can I do? And the evangelist was helping break down the tin. He said, It's too late. It's too late. And the gentleman became distraught because the man kept saying, It's too late. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. And finally, the man said, No, that means I'm lost. The evangelist said, Everything's been done. Would you receive it? There's nothing you can do to be saved but receive it. But believe it. The work's been done. Everything necessary to get you to heaven's been done. Why don't you receive it by faith? Just receive it. It's a gift.
1: 9864. Again, simply call 855-833-9864. You can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. 94547 is the zip code. what we believe, worship times, directions, and the like. Again, truthfortodayradio.org, or again, simply call 855-833-9864. Would you also bear in mind this radio broadcast is available through listener support.